0: What's up everybody welcome back to the Post Gazette Sports Now YouTube channel and podcast network I'm Noah Heil she is Abby Schnabel and Abby it's it's that time of the year again for us to start the college basketball show back up the last time we were doing this uh it was March there were teams in the tournament uh and it was it was chaos so I think we continued afterward actually we went into the summer but those are the memories that I have you know and and we're not far away from that time, crazily enough. In what, eight, nine weeks? Mm-hmm. It'll be Selection Sunday or something like that. Maybe 10 or 11. <laughs> I'm not a math guy. I'm a sports writer. so. Uh, but nonetheless, we're in the thick of things. Conference play is underway um, and a lot to get into. So, But, I mean, first things first, how are you doing? How, how's your new year getting off to uh, – How, how uh, how's it getting off to a start, I should say? uh and just how have you enjoyed watching all the college basketball in this area so far
1: first i want to point out you keep saying eight nine weeks um in just uh two weeks it'll be my or sorry three weeks it'll be my one year at the Post gazette look at that crazy wow i remember i remember when we sat down and did our first podcast and i was Mm -hmm. like i have no idea what i'm doing (laughs) and now and now you know Um, I've been really getting to dive deep in Duquesne. I've been serving as our uh, pseudo Duquesne beat writer, which has been a ton of fun because I've gotten to getting back in that kind of beat element has been a ton of fun and just exciting while also still paying attention to all the other teams we cover, West Virginia, Penn State, Robert Morris, pit I mean I've been to so many various games in between all the volleyball nonsense not nonsense but all the volleyball coverage I was doing so it's just a great year for college basketball in my opinion even if uh, the Pittsburgh area teams aren't doing so hot necessarily and you know I'm having a great year and I'm stoked to get really into the thick of it
0: yeah I am too um I mean I kind of been in the thick of it with just pitting and everything. And that's where we're going to start off the show. So last year, we we had a different format than what we're going to do this year. Abby and I talked things over. Uh, and what we're going to do for this show, we're going to have one question, one highlight, and one prediction. And the question and the highlight is going to be something we both discuss. And then the prediction will be, we will both be making a prediction on the same topic. That way, I I always just kind of like being a little organized and everything. And I feel like this is a way for us to maybe, you know, if there's not a lot to talk about on the pit front, we can work in some other things and we are not tied down to just one team, one player, one story for a whole show. We can cover a lot of different things, but at the same time, you know, if if one team's more relevant than everything else, which will likely be the case with pit, just by the way, this city works. Um, it could be a whole pitch show. We'll have to just go week by week. And that's, what's great about college basketball. So much can change in a week. So to start things off, uh, my one question, and this is something I've asked myself now over the last 24 hours of recording this on Wednesday afternoon is Blake Henson currently Pitt's biggest area of concern. And now when I ask that, I want to establish a few things. One, Blake Henson overall this year is still (laughs) having a very strong season, probably an all ACC caliber season. Um, So he's not been like a huge issue if we're looking year-wide. I also want to make it clear that he's not been the big, you know, he has not been a issue, let alone the biggest issue. He's been a strength. But what I'm talking about as far as right now is that he is undeniably struggled in Pitt's last three games. And while the first of those three was against Purdue Fort Wayne and they were able to get by with production from others, it hasn't been the case in their last two. And now they're in the beginning of what's going to be the hardest month of their schedule and their best players slumping. So I'll ask you, Abby, is this the biggest issue for Pitt right now? Best player slumping at the start of the toughest month of the season.
1: I think yes and no. And I'm glad you made the distinction that we're just looking at these really these past few games because as I looked at the stat line, I mean his stat line for the season looks great. But then you look at this season or these past three games and he's really struggled. And I say yes because you cannot have your best guy um, really struggling like this, especially when you're um, being so reliant on a lot of newcomers. I mean the whole squad other than Fetty and – um, the Diaz-Graham twins. And, uh, you know, there are some other returners, but really you're, you're leaning on Lowe and, and Carrington and, and uh, Leggett. And while that's fantastic that you have this great cast around Henson, you really need – Pitt really needs Henson to be stepping up, to be hitting those tough shots when necessary. Um, and I don't think that's something we're seeing right now, which is a little bit of a concern. But I also say no – because when you think about it is the teams that they're playing right now are teams that they've he has played against many times before. These are guys that know what Blake Kinson does. These are guys that um, have, there's a lot of film out there on Blake Kinson. And, and they're able to study him a lot more than they're able to study um, a freshman or even a guy like Ishmael Leggett who's new to Pitt. And sure, there's film out there on him, but his role at Pitt is a little bit different than his previous roles. And so I think it makes sense that he's having a slump, right? Hinson is having a slump right now because – these guys, the the teams that they're playing, Syracuse and UNC specifically, have played Henson before. They know what Henson does well. They know what he doesn't do well. Um, and so how much of the slump is is personal versus the outside factors? And then you also have to take into consideration: is is while Blake Henson is the best player on this team and needs to be the best player on this team, while we're halfway through the season, you know, last season while he really did have a great cast around him. Who is able to pick up the slack. And I'm not saying that this team can't pick up the slack. It's just a little bit more difficult when you're again with a bunch of new players. Whereas last season it was guys who were you know older than me, um, had been in the college basketball world for four or five years. And and so that's why I say yes and no, because yes, it's a concern. You don't want Blake Henson to be having these struggles, but No, it's not at the same time, because a lot of it is outside factors. A lot of it is stuff that, yes, he needs to overcome, but it also makes sense that he's in a bit of slump because there's just more film out there on him than just about anyone else on, on Pitt's team.
0: I like what you had to say, and my answer's kind of similar to yours. Blake is not the biggest problem on this team right now, but the biggest problem pertains to Blake, and that is that this team has no identity. And right now, the way that this team is going to beat Power 5 opponents, Quad 1, Quad 2 teams, is by Blake going out and having a monster game. If you look, even in some of their earlier losses to Power 5 teams, I point out the Clemson game or the Missouri game. I mean, Henson was excellent, and it wasn't him. It was other people. And you know, while he is slumped in these last two, for sure, against Power 5 opponents, uh, there are far more issues than just him. Ishmael Leggett is also slumped. He's shooting 25% from the field. He's only got to the foul line four times in the last three games, and he's hurt. So those that's not good. I mean, they, they've they tried a whole bunch of different combinations at the four and the five, flipping back between Zach Austin and, and, and Will Jeffries and Guillermo Diaz-Graham and Feddy Federico, and they're trying to play matchup-based or going off of need. And they still really haven't found an answer there. But yeah, the big problem right now with Pitt is it doesn't have an identity. Is it an outside shooting team? Is it a rebounding team? Is it a team that can beat you with depth? Is it a team that can beat you in transition? Is it going to be a team that beats you with its guard play like it did last year? It still hasn't figured that out. Right now, it's a team that it's going to live and die. It's at its best when Blake Henson's firing on all cylinders. And that's not a productive way to make the tournament. It's not. No. And it's, it it will work every now and then, uh, especially, you know, if, if you have a, a generational talent or a, a lottery pick and Blake's not that Blake's really good and Blake can put this team on his back, but I don't know if he's able to do it for a whole season. I think we've clearly learned that he's not because if, if Blake kn- knocks down those shots, Pitt might, have a better chance of beating North Carolina and they're really going to need him to play at his best in this next month, as they still have two games against Duke, a road contest against Miami and some other tough matchups. Uh, but it's not the biggest problem because this team still needs to find an identity. And if that identity is simply we live or die with Blake Henson, then that's not the identity of a tournament team. It's not, it needs to be a little bit more than that. So Blake needs to, do better on his end, which he will fully admit if you ask him. I mean, he's not satisfied with 23.7% from the field, 13.6% from three and 50% from the foul line. Those are his shooting figures over the last three games. That's not good enough in his eyes. Um, but it's it's got to be more than him. And like you said, Abby, other people need to step up to help him get through this slump. And he won't feel the need to force it. I don't think his confidence is shot, but... You know, if if Leggett or Carrington or anyone else can can take the load in these next couple of games, it might allow not only Blake to get his swagger back, but this team to find more of an identity moving into what is going to be the most important month of the season. So that checks off the first box. A highlight. Uh, we're going to highlight an individual and Pit fans. I mean, it's just going to be a tough show, I guess, because we, we're talking <laughs> about their team struggles. In the first part of the show, second part, we're going to highlight Raekwon Battle, Um, one of the more interesting stories in college basketball right now. A guy who wasn't supposed to play this year, and then he is playing this year, and in the small amount of games that he has played, has been really good. Abby, you have a little bit more on this story. Just go ahead and fill everyone in for you know those who might not know.
1: Yeah, so uh, Raekwon Battle is a two-time transfer, um, got his waiver denied by the NCAA, um, and then a West Virginia judge ruled that he could play um there's still a lot of question marks with his story uh, he was supposed to make his debut on December 16th but got uh sick which is kind of funny because it was just like this whole big story oh Raycon battle's coming back and then he had the flu um but then he, he did make his debut um in, with uh West Virginia and he scored 29 points against Radford and then again 29 points against Toledo and he's a senior he is he, he it's Uh, often no like he is a good shot producer like he produces a lot of points on his previous teams but I mean when you're scoring 29 points in your first two games shooting 48.6 percent from from the field averaging 4.5 rebounds and 2.5 steals in your first like in in your first two games after not playing that's pretty impressive and I mean Those 29 points were a program record for a player in Mountaineer debut. It earned him to sweep the big 12 weekly awards with newcomer and player of the year. And then he followed it up, too. Like, it wasn't just a once-off in their, their game against Ohio State. He scored 24 points and only played 29 minutes because he got in a foul trouble. And and you know that's just a very impressive performance for a guy who has been you know struggling personally with the fact that his waiver was denied and and then b- battling with oh battling haha um, <laughs> uh, with the fact that you know is he gonna play is he not gonna play and I think uh, it's given a lot of West Virginia fans a lot of hope that if he does like get his um, eligibility further extended because right now it's on a on a day basis I don't you know the exact date because originally it was 14, but I think we're past that 14-day window. Either way, it gives West Virginia fans a lot of hope if you can have this guy come in and play.
0: Yeah, I mean, my biggest takeaway from this whole story is West Virginia fans have to be watching this and thinking what could have been. Mm-hmm. You you look at everything that has led to, to the Mountaineers being where they are as a team right now. I mean, no Bob Huggins, Kirk Krissa suspended a whole bunch of people transferring out and then this battle situation. And there's other stuff too. Uh, they had a really good team assembled in July and it's just kind of nuts. I, I, I don't want to say bad luck because a lot of this was just breaking the rules either of <laughs> the NCAA or the United States of America in the case of Bob Huggins. Um, but I mean, it's true. You can't do <laughs> it what he is. did. But uh, yeah, it, it's just unfortunate because they could have been a very, very good team. And having watched them not long ago in Morgantown and seeing Pitt take it to them, I mean, that was a shell of what that roster really was supposed to be. And it's, I'm sure Pitt fans aren't crying over it, but it, it's got to be frustrating because, I mean, there was a lot of work that went into building that roster there's a lot of resources that went into building that roster. You know what I mean? Uh, So it's, it's gotta be tough for that to all unfold. And then you see just a little flash of what it could have been. You know, if if, imagine if they did have their coach and they did have everyone around uh, including a guy like battle, who's showing what he's able to do, that's got to drive everyone nuts. So Mm -hmm. That's our highlight. Uh, so we'll move on now to the final part of the show, prediction time. So we're recording this Wednesday. So we Duquesne plays tonight, correct? They play UMass, yes, tonight, UMass first, tonight. First Atlantic 10 game of the season for that. So we will not be able to uh, react to that one. We're going to have to predict that one. What I want to do, Abby, Pitts played one game already this month, has seven remaining. Uh, by the time people are watching this or listening to it, Duquesne will have seven games remaining on its January schedule with one in the books. I want to know which team has more quad one and quad two wins at the end of the year. So
1: just at the end of the month, at the end of the 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 month, month. excuse
0: me. Yes. (laughs) So Duquesne right now has one quad two win and no quad one wins. Pitt right now. And that's, that's prior to the UMass game, which we're going to have to predict. (laughs) Pitt has no wins over a quad one or a quad two opponent. So right now, Duquesne's up one nothing. But we're predicting at the end of this month, which is January, with seven games remaining for Pitt and eight games remaining for Duquesne. So Pitt will have plenty of opportunities. They just lost a quad one game Tuesday night against North Carolina, but they still have three more quad one contests ahead of them this month. A home, a home and home against Duke and then a road game at Miami, Uh, and then two quad two games as well, a home game against Wake Forest and a road game at Georgia Tech. So that's five total opportunities to get a quad one or quad two two win this month, where meanwhile, Duquesne has four opportunities this month. So uh, they have a quad two game Wednesday night against UMass. They have another quad two game at home later this month against St. Bonaventure. And then they have quad one games, a home game against Dayton. I believe that's next week. And a uh, road game, I should say, uh, against St. Joe's. So, theoretically, if both of these teams won out, they'd be tied Mm 5-5. That's where we get the even opportunity here because Pitt has one more opportunity. But what say you, Abby, who finishes with more quad one and quad two wins this month like, who has more at the end of the month, I should say? Uh, Duquesne or Pitt? And I think what's du- the number?
1: I think Duquesne. Um, and I'm going to say they win three out of four.
0: Ooh. Um, so that brings I, their total to four Yes. total wins. Okay.
1: And I'm not going to predict whether, like, I'm not going to say, I could see them winning or losing the Dayton and the St. Joseph's, but I think they win at UMass and win against, uh, or win at home against St. Bonaventure. I don't know. I just think this team is, is, is finally hitting, like, it's been great all season, don't get me wrong, but I think it's finally hitting its stride. Everyone's healthy again, finally. Um, Day Day Grant has really stepped up his defense and on top of his already impressive offensive game, and I just think they know what they have to do in order to make it to the NCAA tournament this year. And they're not going to let that goal get away from them. And they know that they're going to have to win games like this um, if they want to increase their odds. Because obviously, if you win the tournament for um, any any team, you're automatically in. But for an A-10 team, you really have to show that you're really freaking good all season to get that AQ. And I think in order to do that, they have to win at least three of the four, if not all four of the four. And I think they do have a legitimate chance of winning all four of the four. I'm just less optimistic because that's hard to do um, in general. And then for, for when I look at Pitt, I think they win both their quad twos. Um, but I don't I don't like any of their chances for, for their quad ones. Um, so that's why I'm going with Duquesne. Obviously, I've covered Duquesne a lot more closely than I have Pitt. So maybe I'm a bit biased there. But, um, yeah, I, I'd say three to two. Pitt, but I really think it could go either way.
0: I will say they end the month tied. I think Duquesne's going to go two and two, uh, and I think Pitt will go three and two. Uh, I agree with you that Pitt will win both of their quad two games, um, and I think that that's right about when this team's going to start finding its footing. I think that it's it's going to lose to Duke uh, in both contests, but then it's got a short turnaround after the road game in Durham on the 20th. And I think it's like two days later, it plays in Atlanta against Georgia Tech. And I think that that game is going to be where this team starts to really find its footing. uh, If it's going to happen this year, you see them, they they could get the win there and then they go to Miami. You get that win, come back against Wake Forest. That could be three straight wins over a quad one or quad two team. And now it has momentum. And don't get me wrong at that point in time, it's going to have a lot of ground to make up because it'll be two and five in the ACC leading up to that stretch that I just mentioned. Whereas Duquesne, like you said, um, I think they know what needs to happen. I just, they're so close. They do seem like a legit, I mean, they're, they really only have one bad loss, right? Like mm-hmm. the Nebraska loss isn't bad. The Princeton loss isn't bad, but I, I got to see him win the big one. It, it isn't avoid, it isn't the ugly losses that have been Duquesne's problem. It's being able to win the big one. And there are opportunities here, but like you said, the A-10, really, since the transfer portal really took off, has become a two-bit league at best. And I don't know if it's going to be anything different this year. I think you might have one at large if it's Dayton, and then if there's a different tournament winner. Um, Unless if you go close to perfect in conference play. And I just, I just look at Duquesne. I just think because of that, it's going to be such a competitive league, knowing that there's so much pressure on these games that no one's going to be able to escape unscathed. And that's why I see Duquesne going two and two this month against quad one and quad two, which would end the month at three total wins in this category tying pit. So that's where I go with the tie.
1: I think that's why I'm really excited for the Dayton and St. Joseph's games, because those are the top two teams in the A-10, and I feel like Duquesne can pull out a win against at least one of them. Mm. I mean, both are really tough opponents. I'd love to see them win both, but at least one of them, I think that's when I'll know that this team really has a chance to be an NCAA tournament team. Because like you said, we haven't seen them pull out that big win yet. Um, And I think they've got good opportunities coming up, just like Pitt. I mean, both teams are kind of in this uh, situation where they really need to show that they're not mediocre, and now's the time to do it.
0: Absolutely. Well, Abby, that's all I got. Any final thoughts as we wrap up our first show of 2024?
1: Go basketball
0: go basketball hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and keep tuning in we'll have more of our college basketball content here on the post gazette sports now youtube channel and podcast network every thursday take care thank you for checking out this content from post gazette sports if you watch this video on youtube please like the video and subscribe to our channel for all of the sports coverage the post gazette has to offer visit post-gazette.com